right. Well, hey, Soma Midtown, welcome back to our podcast. This is Brandon Shields here with Hannah Anderson, as usual. Hannah, how is it going? I just got off the beach for a couple of days with some pastor friends, so I feel a little... Well, not really guilty, but uh, I feel like no. I should feel guilty about that. You feel refreshed. I do. I feel renewed, restored, renewed. all the re's, you know, yes. but how are you doing? Oh, doing well, doing well. We are, we're starting to see a more consistent weather pattern here. Like we had spring come and then it seemed to go away for a couple of weeks. Like it's been very chilly and oddly so. And now I think we have hope for warmth consistently. And I'm looking forward to that. And my strawberries are growing. I've got red strawberries that I went and picked out of my beds this morning. So all things considered, things are up, looking up. Well, I just want you to know, uh, Emily taught a devotional on our pastor's retreat last week. Um, and she was talking about emotional rest and used your used your book turning of days there. Um, she said, she felt, we, we feel like we should be getting some sort of finder's fee for the, we, we literally are like your biggest, uh, she's your biggest marketing hype girl for the book. I respect and appreciate the level of hype <laughs> you guys have built, but no one will ever come close to my mother. Oh. I just have to say. <laughs> It well, Emily's both, trying to give her a run for her money, but we. It is both she, endearing and embarrassing the degree to which my mother will go up to oh, strangers. I can and only hand imagine my books. Well, she was talking about that question that you lay out in there. What can the earth teach me if I listen? Um, and and the importance of taking uh, walks. And so, in that spirit, I got out yesterday after getting back um, and took a long walk. But it was it was really great. I turned the corner in my neighborhood, uh, right around, um, 46th street and, uh, Graceland. And there's this big, somebody has this big garden and they had these beautiful, I don't, I don't know what they're like lilac flowers. And it literally hit me in the, I told him it smacked me in the face, uh, with this beautiful, just this unbelievable aromatic smell. And I was like, yes, this is, I just needed this. This is, Mm -hmm. this is it. So thank you for uh, encouraging all of us to get out into nature and um, smelling that smell was just totally reviving yesterday. So, and since you mentioned that, I have to share this tidbit about lilacs because they are very, um, you know, olfactory. They they have strong (laughs) scent. And because of that, they were often planted near outhouses. Mm. So if you come across like an old homestead or something and you see a cluster of lilacs, you may be near <laughs> the the previous uh, building that stood there. But it, it was fascinating when I learned that because I was like, of course, of course, that would make sense. You mm. plant your lilacs. This is before you had Glade to spray. Yes, you exactly. <laughs> this <laughs> the, has been lilacs are the original Glade. Mm-hmm. Well, all of that segue, hard segue uh, to uh, self-control. Uh, we're here to talk sh- uh, briefly today about self-control mm-hmm. and uh, and thinking about that as a fruit of the spirit, which to be honest, I, did, I didn't preach this sermon. Obviously, uh, Dante, one of our elders at another congregation preached it, but it is one of those, as him and I were sitting down, it's, it's one of those kind of underrated or maybe not frequently talked about aspects of God's character. Um, you don't typically, I've, I've never come across any sort of theological article or in any of my systematic theologies. I don't recall reading about the character of God as a God who is a God of self-control. 
So yeah, talk to me about some of the the challenges, I guess, in understanding um, really what self-control is um, as we think about, and maybe some of the ways that it's wrongly framed or wrongly talked about, and then how, sh- how should we be thinking about self-control as kind of a more positive fruit of the spirit? Yeah, I, I agree with you that it's not something you um, hear a lot of conversation about, or you think of as a characteristic about the nature of God. And in my experience, I think partly that's because we don't define it well. And so the way we define it, nobody wants to talk about it, right? So <laughs> we, we tend to define self-control within um, the theological spaces that we're in as that with an emphasis on the control part mm. that that you are just in control of your will in control of your passions and it's almost like you're in lockdown mode and you're always guarded and you're always um even repressed sometimes where you are going through the world so aware of your own temptations and the temptations around you that you're almost in this heightened state of anxiety all the time so that you keep yourself in control Um, At least that's the way I have, you know, seen it expressed within um, spaces of spiritual formation or spiritual malformation. And so when you present it that way, I mean, like, who wants to talk about that? (laughs) Like, we'll, we'll say, yes, this is a good thing. And we need to aspire to this virtue. But like Dante pointed out, you know, that was kind of a more pagan way of viewing self-control as just the betterment of yourself by restriction, you know, so Mm. you are restricting yourself, whether it's in your diet and your, you know, your exercise, your habits, you're restricting yourself in very extreme ways in order to produce a better self. Um, And I really like that he made the parallels, particularly to how this is emerging within the context today. You know, this is the same kind of stoicism, the same kind of um, mastery of self Mm. that is more about the control dynamic and the personal success that might come out of control rather than what the scripture is talking about. Mm. So there's two kind of dangers. You can put the emphasis on the control piece, right? So self-mastery, self-fulfillment, or, you know, kind of mastery, control, discipline is a word that I think um, we love, uh, particularly in middle-class, you know, professional contexts, like where we live here in Indianapolis. I think uh, there's definitely an emphasis on like optimizing your calendar, controlling your time, your schedule, your body, you know, this, this kind of idea that using technology, especially we can kind of bring uh, bring the natural world under and, and even our bodies under a sort sort of mastery, not for the sake of others. So the second, the second piece of that is that the emphasis is really on, on self, right. On self-fulfillment. Um, and, and on, you know, it's like, I, I discipline myself. I, I get up in the morning at a certain time, you know, early and I go, uh, you know, pummel my body and all kinds of, uh, arenas of fitness. Um, and so maybe even for some who struggle, uh, with that kind of vision of their life or who maybe are more artistic or whatever, maybe they just kind of concede like, well, I don't, I'm not a really a self-disciplined person. And so this fruit of the spirit isn't really for me. Mm-hmm. So there's, so am I kind of capturing that? Yes. And I bit? think personality plays into it as well. 
if you are more naturally disciplined and kind of order and structure and habit come more naturally to you, you can think that you actually have self-control um, and not be under the control of the spirit. Like mm. you could see your discipline and restriction and regulation as a virtue and maybe even be potentially tempted to judge other people who don't have it the mm. way you do mm-hmm. and confuse that self-restriction for what the scripture is talking about when it presents this idea of self-control for the good of others. Mm. Yeah. And that's, so that's the kind of the key understanding, the key insight here is there's nothing wrong with self-mastery or self-regulation, right? Um, that's part of being a healthy person, but it's what's the direction of this. When Dante talked about this being others directed or others oriented, it's a, a kind of self discipline or self-control or, or really just allowing ourselves to be controlled by the spirit. Right. I think the heart of that is who is controlling me. Right. Um, I'm allowing myself to come under the control, under the influence, under the authority of the spirit for the good of others, right. Mm -hmm. For the, for the flourishing of others. And so that could be maybe a, a question that helps us frame it more positively is how, how is, uh, my kind of gradual yielding of myself to the control and influence of the spirit, uh, allowing me the, the margin, the freedom, the capacity of soul to be able to then turn my attention to others to serve and love them. Right. Yeah. And I think a really, um, good example, just a really concrete example of this is how, uh, the scripture, especially the epistles talk about relating to something like alcohol. So, you know, Paul writes, don't be drunk with wine. And I think if we just take that first part, it would you know, become very easily like, don't get drunk, just don't, just, just don't do these things. And I think you see a lot of that kind of culture emerging within um, evangelical spaces, even as far back as the temperance movement, where there was this prohibition on uh, don't engage with this thing and restrict yourself and have self-control. But what Paul is actually saying there is don't be drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so it isn't just don't do this thing and put yourself in this place where you, you stop doing this thing, stop doing this thing. It's no, don't do this thing because you are being filled by something else and you being motivated and directed and you've come under the control of the spirit who then is going to work out his will and way through you. Mm. Yeah. I think too, of like sexuality, right? There's, there's so much here. I just finished reading a really great book. Um, I think it's David Bennett, uh, war of loves. He was a former gay activist and he came to know Jesus. And the whole book is about the struggle with his, this almost like out of control desire for romance and intimacy and, um, and kind of trying to find that fulfillment initially in other men. And then eventually coming to this place where he said, like, the more I'm filled with this longing for desire for, uh, which is a good, you know, God created thing, but when it's in overdrive, the more I'm f- consumed by this desire for sex or romance, the less room there is in me to be filled by the spirit, to be filled by Jesus. And it says only in coming to understand that I was created to be filled with the spirit of God and to be in communion with God, that I could actually then rightly order my other loves and learn to restrain this desire and live a celibate life as a, as a gay Christian now one who has, you know, identifies as, uh, you know, as, as within that gay community that he um, kind of frames a large part of his sanctification now, 
Mm-hmm. Um, now I have this, I'm learning self-control because I'm being filled by the spirit. Right. It's very much about, um, you know, an Augustinian vision of rightly ordered loves. And I think what we're tempted to do is we see the wrong thing that's happening inside of us or in our actions. And we want to drive straight toward that thing. So if I see a passion or something that's out of control and Dante kind of was mentioning this in his explanation of uh, how self-control as an idea emerged out of uh, the Greco-Roman world and the idea of passions that are driving us and you want to keep those passions in check. And and I think we take a, a very direct approach of saying, okay, there's a passion out of control, whether it's sex or alcohol or food or my tongue or whatever. And I'm going to go straight toward that thing and try to stop it from doing that thing. And so that's what self-control means. I just stop doing the thing that's out of control when what the scripture is presenting and what you know you are alluding to with Bennett's work is actually you've got to get underneath that passion and you've got to figure out how that passion is misaligned or or out of order and rightly order your loves so that your your love and your passions are being directed by the holy spirit which will then naturally result in the fruit of self-control. So the self-control emerges out of these things being brought under the spirits Mm, mm. um, ordering. So let's turn a little bit to um, how we see this at work in the natural world. Um, Again, kind of um, listening to the voice of creation here, which as you said last, I think last week in your podcast with Robin, it, it mirrors what we see in scripture. This is woven into even how we think about the natural world, right? And how the Bible presents um, even a vision for the flourishing of both human beings in the natural world. Right. And I think this is um, partly embodied in the natural by the idea of cultivation. So when you think of a wilderness, it is just life run amok. It is just everything producing however it wants to produce and it's finding an equilibrium within itself, but there's not an ordering of the growth and there's not even an aim for the growth there's not a goal for the growth it's just pristine wilderness that has been untapped and unordered and uncultivated and and one of the things that we're called to um, as image bearers is the work of cultivation or bringing order um, and goodness from the creation not just letting it be wild Um, all the time. And when we think of our own lives and our own passions, there is a kind of cultivation that the spirit is doing that a work that God is doing in us that, that we're not just running wild. We're being brought under the control of the spirit for the purpose of goodness and for bringing life and fruit into the world. And, And one of the ways this cultivation happens, like we've talked about in previous episodes, cultivating the soil and how we invest in Um, our own spiritual growth, and that brings forth fruit. But one of the ways cultivation also happens is through limitation. And it is through healthy restriction. Um, And one of the metaphors that scripture uses is the idea of pruning, that we would have parts of our life that, that God actively limits for the purpose of greater growth and greater, um, you know, uh, bringing life to other people. So uh, there's one essay in Turning of Days that I talk about the idea of pruning as limitation for the purpose of greater flourishing and greater growth for those around us. 
In John 15, Jesus tells his disciples that the father is also a faithful gardener who cares for his own. He cares so much that he cuts away the bad and burns it. He also cuts the good to stimulate growth. But it's the kind of growth that takes time and the kind that goes against your natural instinct to preserve growth at any cost. Instead, the father is concerned with fruit that lasts. He's concerned with good fruit. This doesn't make much sense to people who honor quantity over quality, who want it to come fast and quick, always onward and upward, always expanding, more productivity, more gains, more profit. Instead, pruning prefers healthy growth and knows that flourishing is not a race. Pruning knows that abundance in the future often requires loss in the present. And so there is this tension where as much as self-control is not just this imposed restriction and restraint and kind of forced repression, there is a call to come under the gardener's cultivation, which will include limits on our behavior. And I think you mentioned at the beginning that we don't often talk about this in relationship um, to God's nature, but I, I think even of the limits that Christ took on himself in the incarnation, that he was willing to come under the control of the Holy Spirit to do his work, to be led by the Father, that he did give up things, but for the sake of others. It, it wasn't just this kind of repression for success. It was limitation for love. Well, okay. So I think uh, I feel like you just gave um, our culture like a throat punch right there um, when you start talking about limitations um, and restriction that feels very oppressive, Hannah, that feels very limiting. Um, we live in a time hey, when I don't make that. the rules. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I think it's, it's really interesting because there's so much, I was just reading um, on the plane ride home this week, uh, Michael Hyatt and his daughter, Megan Hyatt uh, just wrote this book uh, on kind of just arranging your life and, and, and business as a leader. And they have a whole chapter on what he calls the profitable pause, which is basically a chapter on exploring limitations as, um, as actually the key to productivity and creativity. And he used this example of how um, at Google, they are allowing their engineers to spend an entire day a week, 20% of their time um, excusing themselves from their personal usual workload to explore whatever side of project they want, no agenda, no expectations, no goals, essentially like this white space where they're creating these limitations on their time to create more space for creativity and freedom. And it, it sounds very biblical, actually, like you think of, you know, letting the, the land lie fallow, um, uh, in those seven year cycles of sabbatical, you know, right. uh, there's a growing movement towards sabbaticals, even in the business world, McDonald's has a sabbatical policies, it has better sabbaticals than some churches. Uh, so, um, and again, I, you know, so help us help me understand that as we kind of close out here, what are some of the ways that people could experiment with some of these limitations mm -hmm. and restrictions for the sake of flourishing? Because even that, um, attempt to make white space or to, to create rest that doesn't have to be productive. You mentioned that it's kind of modeled in the Old Testament with letting the land lie fallow. It's also modeled in the Sabbath where you have this whole day where uh, you are to give attention to um, the Lord and worship and also rest. And 
the irony of that is that takes a ton of self-control. That takes a ton of limitation and coming under um, the Holy Spirit and God's care and provision to be able to trust that you can step away from that work and you'll still be okay. And so it's fascinating that even within the cycle of our week, we have an opportunity to practice this kind of coming under the Holy Spirit stepping away from our power, stepping away from our control, stepping away from our capacity to produce and simply resting. And I don't think we often think of the limitations inherent in rest as a feature of self-control, because again, as we think of self-control, it's do better, try harder. And there's an invitation here within the scripture that self-control is embracing the limits that God has for you and coming under his care and sometimes stepping away from the rat race um, to rest in his provision for you. Mm. So how do you, how do you, I mean, just how do you do that practically? Like, what does it look like to experiment with constraints? I mean, there's so many choices. We're so busy. We have a lot going on. And how do you, how do you experiment with maybe making strategic cuts? So think about pruning is like a it feels very violent in the moment, right? To cut um, feels counterproductive or even dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and so for a, a busy stay-at-home mom or a college student with a heavy load or uh, an executive at a company who's who's feeling that kind of sh- strain, but doesn't feel like they have the freedom to constrain um, their work day or to constrain their parenting or to constrain, you know, really anything without that that being risky. Right, well, it is risky. I mean, it, it's coming away from your own control and ceding control to someone else. And I know in my own life, the things that I have had to have on repeat is more is not better, faster mm. is not better, mm. um, that goodness is not defined the same way success is defined in our culture. And so it, for me internally, it's this massive struggle of relinquishing control to the spirit to say, okay, I I think the better way is work harder, do better, take on more, use every moment, optimize my day. But you're leading to habits and patterns of trust and rest and limitation that's going to bring me under the Holy Spirit's um, power that promises will result in the kinds of things that I'm hoping to attain within my own power. So for us, like we take Sundays very seriously in terms of the, the limitations that we put on ourselves. It's not um, by any means a legalistic structure, but it's an invitation to say, this is the invitation to rest. Take it, feel free, give yourself permission to not do as much on this mm. day. Mm. Um, you have permission. And so I think it, it's part of that is hearing the permission from the spirit and from the scripture, because the culture is yelling at you a totally different message and being able to say, I have permission to seek goodness through limitation, mm. actively restricting myself, actively restricting my family. Um, I don't have to take every opportunity that's put in front of me. Mm-hmm. Um, my kids don't have to be involved in everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that kind of limitation that I embrace is not a restriction. 
it's a limitation for the sake of flourishing for their good and for our good. Yeah, that's really good. So I, I know we're out of time. I just want to close by emphasizing what you just said. I think there's two things we're kind of saying here, summarizing one is seek to be filled with the spirit, you know, find, create rhythms where you are, you know, worshiping, singing, opening yourself to the presence of God, reading scripture, praying, you know, there's a positive aspect of that. We have to be filled with the spirit for this to even make sense. Um, but also for this to kind of energize and also, I think even give us the discernment to know what needs to be cut, what needs to be restricted, what limitations need to be embraced and which ones need to be kind of just, you know, um, occasionally even pushed past or um, transcended for the good of others. Um, then I think on the constraint side, maybe just embracing constraints and saying, okay, like there needs to be a constraint on when my workday starts and when it ends, for instance, you know, at the top and bottom of your day is one of the things Hyatt talks about, you know, just like saying, I'm generally going to start at this time and end this time. And when I'm done, I'm done. And I'm laying that down um, as, in as much as I control that or having bedtimes for your kids and, and trying to stick to those so that there's a constraint on your parental energy. Um, you know, just finding ways to be realistic about achievement and non-achievement and, and making sure that those constraints are in place and they're, you know, written down and they're communicated to those around you because it is a community project to be able to set those restraints requires others to be cooperating for them to be informed and partnering with you. And then I think there's just a ton of experimentation. And so it's not something that like, okay, you do once a year and now you're good. I feel like it's something you're almost kind of playing with almost like dials on a, on a, on a, on a, like a, a mix board, you know, an audio board, like every week you're kind of going, okay, I'm playing with this and adjusting and tweaking. And, you know, you know, when it's time to change, you've hit a season, you've hit a wall, you've hit something that's not working anymore. And so just giving yourself the freedom and the permission to play with those and experiment with those in community, uh, I think can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. And I think the community piece too includes honoring the limits of other people and helping them, um, enabling them to stay within their limits. So we're not maybe manipulating our relationships with people and forcing them to do more than they really should be doing. Um, and also not rewarding and enabling when we see them pushing past limits. And I think that's one of the features of, you know, culture of community is, do we help each other honor the limitations that are placed on us? Or are we like constantly egging each other on to do more and be mm. more and kind of lean into those false narratives of self-discipline? Or are we affirming and inviting each other into rest? And, and something as simple as like, even if you have a, an invitation, you extend an invitation to a friend, make it really, really easy for them to say no. Like, like make it really easy to say, we would love to have you over, but if it doesn't work this mm. week, don't worry, we'll mm -hmm. get to it. Just mm -hmm. tell us when it would work so that you're not putting these kind of subtle pressure points on each other mm. to add more and more to the schedule. That's good. Well, hey, um, Hannah, thanks again for your reflections. It's really good, really helpful. And I'm sure there's so much more we could talk about, but I just want to close this in prayer and just ask God to help us. This is so hard and so sensitive and so risky. And so we know we need the Spirit's help. So Father, we just come to you and we acknowledge um, that we um, can be very self-centered, self-focused um, 
and self-disciplined even for the wrong reasons, um, with the wrong motivations. And so God, help us to open ourselves to your spirit's presence and work in our lives, to see areas that need to be pruned, areas where we've pushed past our constraints and our limitations, and to have the compassion and the attunement to see how that's actually harming those around us and harming ourselves and, and harming our witness in the world. Um, there's no valor in being busy and being uh, overly productive in an exaggerated way. And so we want to just live within the constraints and the limitations that you've given us to be filled with your spirit and then to, uh, to, to seek to um, discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness, to discipline ourselves for the purposes of flourishing in the world in a way that is in, in alignment with your heart and your desires for us. So God, just give us the vision to do that. Give us the courage to, to experiment with what that might look like to say no more um, so that we can say yes to the best things. And uh, God, we, we thank you for inviting us into this fruit of the spirit. And we pray that we would uh, embody it and demonstrate it more and more. Uh, we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.